So we are in 1 Corinthians and we are in chapter 4. And what Paul is going to do here in chapter 4 is, is this. And uh, he kind of starts out telling about himself and the people that he works with. And then he goes with, he kind of says this, in the same way this would be silly for me, it's silly for you. Like It's an example like this. Let's just say, let's just say, you know, Scott and I work together. And uh, Scott and I are, you know, working, and he's teaching me the ways and how to run a pet shop, right? Scott's teaching me how to run a pet shop. And, you know, Pastor Joel is just always late to work on the pet shop, right? He just never seems to be able to show up on time to the pet shop. So, so Scott might do this. He might say, now, now, Joel, wouldn't it be silly for me to be late every day to work to the pet shop? I mean, if I were not ready, if I didn't have the animals fed, if I didn't have everything open or everything ready to go, wouldn't that be silly? And of course, what would I do? I'd go, oh yeah, yeah, you're right, Scott. That, that would be silly. You know, we should, we should never do that. You know, I completely agree. You got to be here on time. And then he might say to me, he'd say, yeah, I'm really kind of talking about you, Joel. You're the one that never is late. You're the one that's never on time. So you need to do something about it, right? And this is what Paul's going to do. So he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, starting with 1, he says this, this is how one should regard us. One should regard us. Who's the us? So the us, we'd have to look back at the previous chapter. And we look back at the previous chapter, it says Paul, Cephas, and Apollos. So he's talking about us. He's talking about the apostles. This is how you Corinthians ought to regard us. And he says, as servants of Christ. So he says, you need to think of us as servants, but then he says, and stewards. Stewards, how many of you like the Lord of the Rings, have read the books or watched the movies? Okay, there's like two of us. This is going to be a great example. I'm perfect. Everyone's going to totally identify with us. All five of us are going to enjoy us. So in the movie, in the books, the Lord of the Rings, there's no king. Like, they have no king, right? That there's a big problem, there's no king, and they need the king to come and unite the people of men to fight against the oh, big bad guys, right? And they didn't have a king. And so who is ruling man, the, the people of men? Well, there's someone ruling the people of men, and one of these people of men is called Gondor, and there's a man ruling it, but he's not called the king. He's called a steward. He's the steward of Gondor. And so what a steward is, is someone who has Great responsibility. They're not really in charge, but they still have a lot of weight on their shoulders. They have a lot of authority. So this would actually really identify with the people of Corinth because there was a stewardship that went along very close to where they were. The Ptolemies in Egypt, maybe you've heard of the Ptolemies in Egypt. You've heard of Alexander the Great. He kind of took over most of the known world. And then when he died, four different people took it over and the Ptolemies were the ones that ruled Egypt. And so they ruled Egypt, but they owned part of Greece. And when they owned part of Greece, they didn't actually live in Greece. They had a steward ruling Greece for them. So when we see the servants of Christ who are stewards, they're servants, but these apostles have authority, right? They have authority. And what are they stewards of? What are they taking care of? What are they watching over? They're watching over the mysteries of God. Verse 2 Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found trustworthy. So when you are someone who has great responsibility, what, is, what does Spider-Man say, right? With great power comes great responsibility. 
Great power becomes great responsibility. And so when you are a steward and you're over a lot of things, there's a lot more responsibility on our shoulders. And so if you think about this in the realm of the pastors, you know, when I was a kid and I thought, oh, maybe it'd be cool to be a pastor. This is what I thought. Well, I go to church anyway. So, you know, just why not work while I'm there? It's perfect. I got this figured out. You know, this is going to be nice. And, you know, I like going to church and I, I love God and I like the Bible. I'm just a kid, right? I'm thinking this way. And so what you don't realize is there's a really big difference between going to church and being responsible for things at church. The feeling's different, and hopefully many of you have felt this in your own way. Maybe not as being the pastor, but as being responsible for something. You're teaching a class, you're leading some music, you're singing, you're doing something, you're an integral part of what's going on at the church. There's just a little bit more pressure there, right? And so when you are the pastor, you have even more pressure and you have more expectations, and you need to be found trustworthy, right? You need to be someone that can be counted on. Verse three, but with me, it is very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. And what does he say here? He goes, okay, I have all this responsibility. I need to be found trustworthy. But you know what? What you guys in Corinth say about me, that's not what I'm worried about. What the human court says about me, that's what I'm worried about. As a matter of fact, I don't even judge myself. You know, sometimes we are the worst judges of ourselves, you know? It is just so easy to see what we do through rose-colored glasses. Isn't it easy to so justify our actions and see that we've done right and, you know, explain, you know, why what we did was okay? So he doesn't even judge himself. What does he say? For I am not aware of anything against myself. But I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. And why does he talk about himself? This is why we go on to verse 5. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purpose of the heart then each one will receive his condemnation from God. See, the people of Corinth had jumped the gun on judgment. You know, so often we want to change people. We want to we make them better. We feel like they're not quite maybe on the level of the relationship with God that they should be. And so we, you know, we judge them. You know, we you know, help them. Sometimes we are being good and helping, but oftentimes we sit there and evaluate how, how much do they love God? How sincere are they really? And this is what's happening to the Corinthians. And in verse six, it says, I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, not to go beyond scripture, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. Once again, what is the main problem in Corinth? Not getting along. They're fighting. And in this particular case, the thing that he attacks is the judgment they have one over the other. You know, I, I got 
Natalie asked me to do a little survey thing about worship, and she's asking me these different questions. She made me think, like, what's the purpose of worship, and why do you do it? And I remember, you know, I didn't take an incredible amount of time answering her questions, but I kept answering something like this. I'd say, well, part of the reason you worship is to show how great God is and how small you are, to lift him up and make yourself smaller. And not only smaller to God before God, but realize how small we are so we can be better servants to one another. This is why a big part of the reason why we worship God. And so often, rather than making ourselves small and seeing how we can help one another, we want to be bigger than the other people. We want to be better. We want to compete. Verse 7, For who sees anything different in you? Who do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast if you did not receive it? Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. Without you, without us, you have become kings. And would that you did reign so that we might share the rule with you. You know, sarcasm is a tricky thing, and it's sometimes even hard to notice when people are using sarcasm when you don't know them well, even when they do speak the same language and they do live in the same century that you do. So I'm not 100% sure this is sarcasm, but I think it is. Paul says, oh, you're already good. You have everything you want. You become rich. See, the people that would travel around as philosophers, they would charge large sums. Philo talks about it. He says, oh, without, without us, you become kings. You're doing great. Geez, we just wish we could reign with you. You guys are just killing it out there. You're awesome. How are you doing it? They'll teach us the secret sauce here. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels, and to men. Oh, you guys are so great. We're so pathetic. We're like a spectacle. We're like people that have been put in the Roman Colosseum. You know, we're in Gladiator, but we're the losers. You know, we're, we're pathetic. As a matter of fact, this would really reign true. I mean, the people in Corinth, there was a Roman colony. They knew of the games. You know, they, we had the Isthmian games. While they didn't have Gladiator fights there, they did have a Colosseum just outside of their town. They likely had gladiator fights there. They knew what this meant. And Paul is saying, you guys are doing so great, and look how sad and pathetic we've become. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. To the present hour, we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted, I missaid that, and homeless. And we labor working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. The people of Corinth, they started thinking, Oh, we need to become great orators. Wisdom of the world, right? They become puffed up. Then they start to compete with one another. Who can be better? 
Who's bigger? Who's more godly? Who's more holy? And suddenly, the relationship with Christ isn't about them in Christ. It's about me versus you. Me versus you. We all have a long way to go in our relationship with God. We all have so many more steps to climb to get closer to him. Comparing ourselves to one another isn't, isn't time we can afford. He goes on to verse 14. When he shifts to verse 14, he really kind of starts summarizing the whole first section of the first four chapters. So he, he's not specifically just talking about what we had just mentioned. He kind of shifts to a summary of the section. He says, I do not write these things to you uh, to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. He calls them children, you know. It's like um, he mentions he's a father earlier. He, he, he used the example of milk earlier in the passage, like kind of like a mother. Verse 15, for though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. It says you have many guides. What this is is, you know, little, you know, young boys at that time, if you, had, if you could afford it and you had the money, you just hire a servant to take care of them. They would walk them to school. They would feed them. They would, you know, go get their clothes. They would do all these chores and these things for the kid to take care of them. And he says, you have countless guides in Christ. But what does Paul say? But I am your father. You can fire your servant guide. You can get a new one. But you can never throw away the dad, right? There's only one father. They don't switch out every year. And he is a father. He's Christ. He planted the church. I urge you then, be imitators of me. That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child of the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. Some are arrogant as though I were not coming to you. He says, I'm coming back, but the way some of you are acting, you, you act like I'm not. But I will come to you soon if the Lord wills, and I will find out not the walk, talk of these arrogant people, but their power. Talk. Talk is cheap, right? Everybody can talk. Everybody can talk. How's he going to know? How's he going to know who the true followers of Christ, the true ones, and just the talkers? Those that have power, those that do, those that God works through that something's happening. So often, we want to just say what should be done, but we don't want to do. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love in a spirit of gentleness? There's a lot of different things we could say about this passage, but I want us to focus on this one thing. As we get ready and we prepare for communion this morning, I'd like us to think about this. When we sit down and we take communion and we, we go and we, we take the bread and we take the cup and we examine ourselves. I'd like us to focus 
Focus on this. What can I do to make myself smaller and make others bigger? What can I do? How can I take away less of me and make other people larger? It's so easy to think about what we'd like other people to do, but just for these few moments, what can I do to be smaller and make others bigger? Let's pray. Dear Lord, I just thank you so much for this morning. And as we prepare our hearts for communion, I just pray that we would make ourselves smaller. That we would strive to have a strong relationship with you. A relationship not of competing, not having to do with anyone else, but just us and you. Like there's no one else in the room. We pray these things in Jesus' name.